and welcome to the second episode of The Rough Draft. My name is Artemis. And I'm Colin, and this is published and produced by the York Review, your college's undergraduate literary magazine. Today we have a special guest with us. I'm a professor of both of ours here at York College. Um, I know, Travis, you do literature and stuff. Um, I'm sorry, literature, poetry classes. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, like, your back, your education, your education, your background, um, your sort of literary interests, um, and then we'll really dive into our content here. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks, Colin and, and Artemis for, for having me. I uh, really appreciate it. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, so I'm Travis Kurowski. I've been at, at York College since 2009. Known you jokers for, I think, about a um, year, probably a year and a half, maybe. Maybe, yeah, maybe a little longer. Two years. Um, because I teach um, a lot of writing classes, a lot of publishing classes, and a lot of literature classes. Um, I received my PhD in English um, with a focus in creative writing and fiction back in 2009 at the Center for Writers um, at the University of Southern Mississippi. Oh, me too. You did too. No. Hey, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. class were you, man? <laughs> You're headed that way, right, Artemis? Uh, not there. I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> but I, I think Lange. I do want to get a PhD in uh, English literature. It's fun. I mean, it's I I never would have at your age um, thought this is where I didn't at your age think this is where I want to be. Not that I, I'm assuming your guys' ages, but but y- younger than I am now. Um, but I just I, I think I just ended up um, in college. I went to college in um, Southern um, Oregon in Ashland. And I was I was down there to be a theater major. Um, I was acting, I was building sets. Um, I was interning at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. That's awesome. Oh. Yeah, it was. Yeah, man, it was a dream. It's a beautiful area, and Oregon Shakespeare Festival is a fantastic um, theater. A lot of people I worked with down there, I now see in, in television shows and, and movies, and it's it, it, it was it was wonderful. But I got turned on in a, a playwriting class um, to writing, and I, I realized that what I was doing on stage, I wasn't I wasn't doing in the way that I was doing writing. I was sort of I was doing it as though a former self a few years back had pushed me down this path, and I was still kind of just going through the motions, uh, but not like my fellow actors. I mean, they were amazing, and they were working their tails off, and I was—I just realized I wasn't doing it to the level of them. But when I stumbled into writing, I, I realized I put a lot more energy into it. Um, I, I just got obsessed with it. I mean, I took a fiction writing class with um, Vincent Craig Wright down there. I took a poetry class with Lawson and Nada. Um, and a few years later, I, I stumbled into graduate school. Really, it's just a way to get out of Oregon and experience the world, actually. Um, Mississippi was fantastic. Um, yeah, so I studied um, English down there um, for a PhD. You need to take a lot of uh, literature courses, um, write a lot of seminar papers. Um, but for the creative writing focus, you end up working a lot on um, a collection of short stories and craft and teaching. There's a lot, a lot of teaching. Yeah, and then I, I came here. Um, it was uh, my first second job um, um, out of my doctoral program. And since since I've been here, we've been working on the York Review um, every year, putting out an issue. Um, for a few years, put out a national magazine, which we have some leftover boxes of um, here in the office. It's, it's our, our soundproofing, our artificial yeah. soundproofing um, in, in the podcast studio. Um, yeah, teaching comic books, which is um, one of my most exciting classes. But I got poetry writing um, just after this um, with Artemis in it, which is as I tell every class, it's, I think, probably my, my favorite class to teach because I think it's the most challenging for me, um, just because poetry, poetry is poetry. Um, and it's always kind of hard to get my head around the subject and, and kind of figure out what, what we're producing. So, so yeah, yeah, I, I, I've been here for like nine years. So, was there, <clears throat> excuse me, was there, like, a moment when you realized, like, 
poetry is for me. Like you mentioned, you took that poetry writing class, right? Um, was there like a specific like piece or like something you've written? Like, like what was it like to kind of discover your passion? You know what I mean? To be yeah. writing and be like, this is different. This is like this new version of myself and, I, and I'm going to run with this. You know, was, was there anything like a specific moment for that? Man, I, I just, you asking the question embarrasses me. I wish I had a clear answer, um, clear answer for that. Because mm-hmm. like when I took that poetry class, which wasn't really much of a class, but I think it's what I needed. And I think it's mm-hmm. maybe what a lot of students maybe need. Um, at that time, I was about 20. He was really just writing poems, reading them to the class, or sharing them, and having Lawson tell us, like, nice. <laughs> like, good work. He was just, um, Lawson's a, um, just a, a, a lovely Japanese-American a man who grew up in, in San Francisco, or in that area, was in when he was about four or five or six um, in the Japanese internment camps down there, mm-hmm. down there in California. Um, very invested in jazz, a musician, his son's a graphic designer, just like, the coolest, calmest guy. So it's like if Miles Davis was just in the back of your poetry class and it's like, yeah, that was chill. And I was just like, oh, that's great. Like, this is what art is like, right? And so, but I never really kind of thought of myself as a poet. I wrote a lot of poems in college. I thought I was going to be a playwright after I left college because I was still had that theater, a lot, a lot of theater friends. Yeah, um, a lot. it's kind of what I knew. Um, but after I got out for my capstone um, project, I wrote part of a novel. It was terrible. I hope no one ever finds it. It was like if, um, Philip Roth was writing existential fiction from like some island off the coast of Maine. It was just, it was really, really pretentious. But I mean, I was just trying to figure out what I was doing. And so I stumbled out of there. I ended up living in Portland for a while. I worked at Tin House um, Literary Magazine. I'm right there in Portland. I met the, the publisher at the um, cafe where I was a bartender, waiter, um, and manager. Um, and he gave me an internship there and I met it, it's it's a really a premier literary magazine. I, I didn't know too much about it when I, when I started there. I learned a lot more about it when I worked there. But I, my investment in fiction and poetry really kind of took over my investment in anything else. I started looking back on the short stories I wrote in college and the poems I caught in college much more. I did more of that. I stopped writing and thinking about plays. And I, I started sending out a lot, of, a lot of fiction and poetry. I was already doing that in college. I was so... So pretentious in college. I just hung on the library I, and I was sending short stories to Paris Review. Yeah, I, I, so I, I never like, I actually kind of want the writers of your college always to be a little bit more pretentious and really to, to, to kind of nurture their ego a little bit um, yeah. instead of the other way around. But um, but yeah, I never, uh, I, I, early on, um, not until I really kind of focused on fiction probably when I was like maybe 25, I think, and going into graduate school. But it was that year in Portland after college, just kind of not being in school. I guess being able to kind of pursue your own interests, getting away from that sort of pressure. Yeah, or just having like, yeah, Saturday or Sundays off and sitting in a coffee shop and figuring out what I was going to write. Yeah, that's Um, awesome. And developing my ideas. Yeah, yeah, that's always important. But yeah, no, so I never had like a, I guess, a calling. Yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't have to be some divine moment, but you've you've found your your, your path there, right? I don't know. Yeah, I think think, think the degrees, like when you have MA or PhD, it definitely Mm -hmm. sort of says, well, you're doing this. Mm -hmm. But I think that can be... uh, false narrative about the self. Like that's I think, true, um, like I write a lot of fiction, a lot of poetry, um, a lot of nonfiction. And even I try to remind myself, like I don't have to only write, right? Mm-hmm. I can do other kind of artistic things. I can do other, get involved other ways professionally um, and, and get outside of the calling. I don't mm-hmm. think they As do. a professor, what yeah. do you think uh, students relate to most with your classes? And in general, just all of your classes. Yeah. Like, what do you um, think is your best class for students? How about that? 
Gosh, I don't know. It's important, too, because, like, your classes are inherently, like, personal. You know what I mean? Like, students are, they need to bring a part of them to class, right? Yeah. That's kind of what I was was going to say. What I don't, I mean, I read the student comments. I get student comments, batches of them, um, at the end of every semester. And it's always kind of painful to read. I mean, I I love reading them um, because there's a lot of enthusiasm in there. Like, a lot of students are like, oh, this is my favorite, not to pat myself on the back or mm-hmm. a humble brag, but it's like, oh, it's my favorite <laughs> class. I really invested in myself. I worked hard. I'm proud of what I produced or something. But every every one where the students are, you talk too much or something like this, like you've gone coffee or something like this, or we always need more focus. Like every, even if they, if they kind of stumble in there, it always makes me kind of worry. Like, oh gosh, I lost that one student. Like, why didn't that one student, why weren't they engaged? But I think of anything, I think it's, I, I hope what I try to bring to the classes is one, like I try to ratchet up our classes. So I don't give you guys just what I got in the 90s and the early 20s um, in undergrad, but I'm giving you, tilting it more towards maybe what I got in graduate school, right? Because I kind of worry that the high school degree is now the, the bachelor's degree, and the bachelor's degree yeah. needs to be the master's degree. Yeah. So I think you guys need to be doing more and, and kind of more professionally than I, I did in, in undergrad. So I'm always kind of trying to advance the classes into, into a little bit more research, a little bit more independent study, um, a little bit more instead of just kind of front-loading knowledge onto people, even if it's in my comic book class. Um, having students produce knowledge because, you know, you're all adults, um, and I think knowledge production. So I always try to push on knowledge production and make you guys independent. It's all, it's rocky. I mean, as you guys see in our publications management course, um, developed by Dr. Zerbe, in which I've ran with Vito Grippi for the past four years, a lot of that's independent, right? Even at the 200 level, students are having to work very independently and just kind of come here as a colleague of the faculty of me and Vito and anyone else here and kind of work with us and build things, which is very... I think unusual. I think it's definitely unusual versus kind of what a lot of high school classes are. But I think even a lot of college classes, you're not kind of forced to have that that level of independence. Like produce things, like do like doing yeah. things, right? right. Um, With but, a but lot of support and guidance, yeah, I, I hope. Yeah, yeah. But absolutely. the other thing I hope is I hope is the personalness. I hope, if anything, I think professors can offer enthusiasm for a subject. Mm-hmm. So I think we're embarrassed often to be enthusiastic about, right? So when even in graduate school, and not that, sorry to steamroll what you're saying. No, just, no, dude, dude. Um, but even in graduate school, I was embarrassed to like comics and to talk about them in the way that I talked about, like, like Shakespeare, right? Mm-hmm. And even today, I think, like if I tell people, like friends, neighbors, I, I write poetry, I can I can feel like the cultural embarrassment that surrounds yeah, that, like saying, yeah. well, why shouldn't you be investing in the stock market or doing right, something yeah, better, right, right, with your time? Right, so, like, so you write poetry, like, what's your job, right? Yeah, yeah. but these things that not that like that 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 get us like maybe always clothes, right, or or a roof over our heads, but are not how we live or what we live for. These things, mm-hmm. poetry and art, right? Um, it's 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 really integral and important that we as humans to be happy to create a great better society kind of make sure we continue investing in that. So things it's the things we go to when we need assistance, support, love, connection, right? Um, and so, but it is it's it's hard. So if I can offer the students that it's okay to love beauty and to talk about weird things like beauty and not be embarrassed yeah. or ashamed about that, it, it's okay to kind of do what you want and kind of express yourself in poetry, right? Because you know you need to do it, but you're not sure who's going to pay you to do that, right? Or yeah. how are you going to tell your parents who's just spend a semester writing poetry, right? Yeah. Even though you know it, like somehow you're doing it because it's a need. Yeah. Um, and so any enthusiasm I can offer to Spider-Man, Wonder Woman, you know, Sharon Olds poetry or something, or the students' own poetry, right? Or why we make literary magazines, even though as played, well, <laughs> constantly bring up, like not enough people know about it on campus. There's still, like, they can be passionate about these things that maybe aren't being spoken about on yeah. CNBC all the time or, or on the, probably the New York Times, right? Right.
So I, I hope it's what I can offer, and I hope I offer in a cohesive, logical, logical yeah. way. Of, yeah, no, a absolutely, right? It's kind of like the difference between a house and a home. You know what I mean? Okay, you can have that roof overhead, you, you, over your head. You can have this, like, steel beam house, right? But if you don't have some of that, like, art, that, like, love of the arts in your home, you know what I mean? If you're not really, like, feeling comfortable in your house, then it's just a house. You know what I mean? I feel like it's the difference. Like, in terms yeah. of, like, in terms of, like, how you're living your life, you know what I mean? Like, you yeah. can live, like, a house life or a home life, you know what I mean? And, and home is where you're happy, home is where you're comfortable, and a lot of people, I think, just push that to the side and just, like, settle for this, like, a bigger house, right? Um, That's a really great, great metaphor, I think, oh, great analogy. Yeah, it reminds me of two things. One's a quote from a former um, student um, here, and, and she might still be here, but she hasn't been in my classes for a while. Um, Shelley Goodling, she was in my favorite nonfiction class um, a couple years ago, and she said, um, I think it was from a fortune cookie, she said, um, we make our habits, and then our habits make us. Wow. Uh, that stuck with me. I was like, oh, I've got to write this down. I look at it still like every, because it's in my notes on, on my iPhone. I look at it every few months. But the other day, closer to what you said, I heard this quote from Churchill, and, and he said, um, Winston Churchill, he said, we make our buildings, and then our buildings make us, right? Which is so what you think about yeah. the home or the house. Yeah. We make our buildings a certain way. So I guess, yeah, if I can reinforce with, you know, you know what's our, our insanely good history program, right? Our, our, Great business classes, right? Um, if I can reinforce with that that you know, we want to build any paintings on it, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, Absolutely. I hope I can do that. All right. Cool. Cool. Uh, I'm, so I'm literary can't, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you have to go? I'm not. Gaming is fascinating. You're really yeah. involved in the gaming community. Uh, on campus, not right? so, I, uh, not so much anymore, just because I frankly sad. I just like don't have time. <laughs> you know, I was actually just talking to a student. Um, who wants to do a Halloween D&D session for her birthday. She yeah. wants to do like a murder mystery type thing where one of the characters is the murderer. And like they have to try not to get caught and everyone else has to try and like find them. That does sound like fun. So I'm, def I'm definitely doing that. Um, but yeah, um, uh, we really want to get someone on the role playing club on here, right? Because we were talking about I talked to Elena. Really? Yeah. Elena would be perfect. Because yeah. Yeah, she's like the vice president of the club. Yeah, cool. Elaine's great and brilliant. Yeah. Oh, she cool. said she that she has it. like a selection of, I think she said fiction for you. It's like it's building. So she's been building. Elena writes constantly, yeah. and she's fast and she's good. Yeah. Yeah, very right. good. Yeah. I feel like gaming, not just Skyrim, but Dungeons yeah. and Dragons, which is why you made that. I feel like made that um, digression. Like you guys probably don't know what I'm talking about, but yeah. it's one of those things like like literature, like comic books, like poetry, which we feel kind of almost bad about bringing up yeah. at certain times. Like, yeah, oh, God's not going to make somebody rich, so why am I talking about this sort of thing, right? Yeah. Or, there's, yeah. there's definitely like a cringe when I bring it up, right? Yeah. Like sometimes it comes up on accident. Like, if it comes up on a first date, I'm going to be like, oh, man. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? But like why? Yeah. That is, that is interesting. Right, because, I mean, it's so easy <laughs> to try to imagine a world without those things and how terrible that would be, yeah. right? I mean, the world would be sure. terrible without games, without poetry, without art. But still, like, we don't kind of invest in them and we feel weird about talking about them in a culture that's so into making capital, right? I, I think there's something to say about, like, I'm, I'm not trying to get super in the weeds here, but something about, like, politics and, like, masculine culture, you know what I mean? And kind of, like, the sensitivity associated with the arts, gaming, literature, 
right? This sort of like sensitivity there, right? The beauty, like the best part of that is kind of rejected by like dominant masculine culture. And so, so I think that might be kind of like the background yeah. to why everyone sort of like. So you think it might be different about how we like in culture, kind of the male gender in the West than for, for women, do you think, how we how we talk or we let them talk about art or something. But for for men, we're probably talking just from your position, right? Yeah, absolutely. But for men, you're seeing that there's this way that culture kind of forces on you a sense of not being weak, right? And also maybe like, you know, being productive. Absolutely. In a way that yeah. these things are what you're not supposed to engage in, right? Yeah. Like the like Billy Elliot movie. movie. Um, I don't know if you saw that, but mm-hmm. the little boy from Ireland, um, I think it's, I know, maybe he's in England, I don't know, but he's in a mining community, um, probably England, you're probably going to get, get emails about this, like, how does I get this wrong, but he wants to be a ballerina, it becomes a big deal between him and his brother and him and his dad. Interesting, yeah. Being, being, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like, why, like, why, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, why do we reject this sensitivity that, like yeah. you said, like, we can imagine a world without it, and it sucks, you know what I mean? So, so why are we trying to push it, like, in the corner, yeah. you know? Um, and, again, I think it does go to, like, money, right? I, I think it does go to... Probably, yeah, and know. I think then women today, I think, you know, after, you know, they make up a huge portion of the workforce, right? Yeah. Um, most women have one job, if not multiple jobs, right? I think they feel that same pressure now about the arts, right? And maybe they always have it in a different way, but the same the same sort of dominance or the pressure, maybe it's the patriarchy. Yeah. Maybe we're all the patriarchy, right? That same sort of pressure, I think, about sometimes talking about beauty in the arts. Wayne White, um, Matthew Clay Robinson, runs a um, art gallery. Mm-hmm. If you haven't gone over there, do it's great. Yeah, and yeah. he helped with Mark Review Arts downtown. Um, he helped bring in Wayne White. Um, he's an artist um, who uh, uh, was originally a cartoonist um, when he was younger, also. And he did uh, Pee Wee Herman sets, the original Pee Wee's Playhouse sets, yeah. a lot of great yeah. music videos. He has this great TED Talk, which essentially he gave to us in the Waldner Center when he was here as an artist in residence here on campus. And he built these, these great works of art um, downtown of Markey with the community, with um, students. Um, but it's called um, Beauty is Embarrassing. It's, it's just a great, it's a great talk. Um, I was moved by it when I was there, and I've shared the TED Talk um, with, with many students. But it's about that way that we, we talk or don't talk about beauty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's something I try to... Like I try to push against in my class, being like, "Hey, you know, we should wake up. If yeah. not, we're gonna be sad, <laughs> right?" <laughs> true, yeah. um, and also, you guys can make beautiful things, and often, you know, make money off making beautiful things. Right? We do meet people writing those Netflix shows. We do meet people right writing those novels, writing those poems. Right? You know, actually becoming you know civic engagers in the community of arts organizations at high school levels, at college levels, at the elementary levels, or just you know at, at local kind of downtown organizations like we. We go to downtown for first Friday for Leo for Beauty, or knock on wood, we'll, we'll be going yeah. to um, pretty soon. Okay, cool, cool. Um, so, because of time, should we wrap this up? Or do like our I know, should, we, should we give the last word to Artemis? What do you think about all that, Artemis? Uh, about which one? Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about the canon? I don't know if you are you interested in talking about the canon. I mean, that's something that we've been bringing up on the show since the very beginning. Like, what is canon is there canon like has the canon shifted from what we know to something new with the process changing and and diversity being added to the the uh literature that people are reading now especially middle school and high school so i mean what's your opinion on the canon? well 
I do have an opinion. I told told you guys something before we started recording. Could you could you tell me more though about I think because I don't get I'm 39. I'll be 40 on October 16th pretty soon, and I think like I probably don't quite understand. I think the contemporary you know um, student college students engagement or feelings about the canon. And actually, I realized just talking to you guys earlier, you guys experienced the canon more than I would have assumed coming into the conversation that you experienced canon. That I was educated in a way that you know the canon was well non-existent, etc. Yeah. It was like fluid borders. It was constantly changing, and every sort of high schooler was, I assume, being reinforced this way, right? But you guys seem to kind of feel differently, right? Yeah. Um, and I think it's really hard to pinpoint, like, specifically what the canon is, because, I mean, I, I'm a scholar, although I'm a scholar. But, um, <laughs> but um, uh, I guess from, like, middle school up until high school, we're kind of taught that there's, like, certain authors who just epitomize literature, right? Like, um, and it's, it's people that you're going to continuously come across from, like, middle school to high school and then apparently into college. Yeah. So, like, um, Shakespeare is something that, like, I think every high school or middle school reads. Um, so I think that he would probably be considered part of canon. Um, like, Edgar Allan Poe, Robert Frost, like, as far as poets go, or even uh, writers go, um, because they're all people specifically who we will learn about within literature um, as we continue to come up. And even later, I guess, because, you know, there have been a bunch of literature classes I've taken here where it's been specifically about Poe or Frost, or um, we've talked about, I mean, there's a whole Shakespeare class, there's two of them, as far as I know. Um, yeah. Like, the Canterbury Tales, I think, are probably something big, too. Uh, Beowulf, something really big. You know, something that you learn in all schools. Um, I'm trying to think of more, but... And you you, you went to Hack also before this, right? I did, yes. Yeah. So you've experienced this in a few different campuses. Mm-hmm. Um, and even at Hack, it was kind of the same thing. A lot of the same things. So, like, when I took um, early British literature... A lot of the the stories that we read there are the same stories that we're reading here in early British literature that I'm taking this semester. Um, Beowulf being one of them, sorry about that, and the Canterbury <laughs> Tales being another. Um, yeah, you mentioned that you keep reading the same things. Yeah, over and over it, it it kind of recycles, <clears throat> and the, I guess the reasoning behind that is, you know, we always hear because it's the canon. It's it's what. Literature is, I guess, it's, it's yeah. kind of like the reason behind that. But then, you know, nowadays, um, I think a lot of people are like, well, why aren't there? And we talked about this in the first episode. Like, if this is the canon and it's pretty much like all old white dead guys, why are there no, like, females? Why are there no, like, black authors or Mexican authors or, no, yeah. or whatever, yeah. you know, in general, um, or Asian authors? And then now you have a lot of classes in high school and middle school that specifically put diversity into their their um, whatever it's called curriculum curriculum thank you they they specifically put diverse novels in there now so that you're not just reading these like you know 1986 1986 1920 like 
Sarah yeah, goes to the ball, 1890, like yeah, yeah eighteen ninety right, or whatever. Right. Needs the chaperone, gets kidnapped, and goes to America. Like one of the <laughs> that was actually a story that I read. Like somebody, I, I can't remember what it was called, but um, yeah, just got kidnapped, went to America, got pregnant, you know, normal stuff. Um, American stuff. Yeah, but um, but yeah, so they so they start putting like diversity in there, and so now you start to wonder like, are these new novels going to be like? you know, what's considered the canon, or is this just, like, a, a PC kind of thing, like, you know, for the next couple of years, they're just going to put diversity in until they can, like, phase out these books for something else, or... And phase out the white guys, right? No, I was talking about the diverse books, but even... Yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they're ever going to phase out the white guys. Can, can I say two two quick things, just because yeah, I think we got to wrap up? Um, one, it always hurts hurts my heart a little bit to hear, like, get students... Not that, not that I, I know you, you knew what you were saying, but just how I interpret it when you said um, that I'm not a scholar, right? When you said that, that, that idea. So I think we're always kind of putting ourselves in the back foot. And so I, I keep seeing students at college where I assume you're here to be like, you know, co-colleagues and like, you know, creating research, right? And, and studying and, 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 and making scholarship, right? And students keep kind of, kind of treating themselves like they're, 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 they're younger than that or they're not engaged, right? We're not giving themselves, I think, the credit they deserve for kind of the brilliance and the intelligence that, that brought them here. And also that that their own, even if they're not maybe educated in all the right offers or something, that their own passion and interest will drive them just as far as going to drive anybody else and has driven anybody else in the past. And so we're always kind of dismissive as our scholars. And I wish every student would come in and say, like, I am a scholar, right? And I'm, I'm here to do stuff with you. I'm not just being kind of lectured at and told, just do this, just do this, and then later on we'll let you do stuff after you, after we know you won't cut your finger off, right? And when we're not here, like, doing, right, we're not, um, even the shop, I mean, I'm sure Seth in the shop will show you how to use the saws, and then he's going to let you kind of actually build stuff. Um, but but secondly, I'm sort of the wrong person probably to talk about the canon. Um, there's this great quote, I, I can't remember which theorist said it that I read um, when I was in graduate school. I think it was Terry Eagleton, and he said, literature is what gets taught, mm. right? Like, what we think of as literature is just what gets taught. And I think that comes to what you think of as the canon, right? Um, I said right before the That's podcast, true. I think when we're talking about the canon, we're really just talking about education, mm-hmm. right? Not how people experience art, right? Not how people experience literature, which I think is a good thing to always remember, that education is this construct on top of society. And certainly it pushes certain values certain ways, mm-hmm. but it's not it's not society, right? I'm um, just the stock market isn't the economy. It's just it's just, it's a representative of part, yeah. part of the economy. And so I spend a lot of my lit 200, the perspective of the literature class, just trying to disabuse people of the notion that there's such a thing as a literature. Mm-hmm. Like tell them like this isn't actually a thing, right? We teach a thing, yeah. right? But when you're out in the world, don't you like different stuff than that person over there, right? Yeah. And all we're going to do in literature class is try to like look at literary qualities in text, right? Like why you find a certain text beautiful or not, why it's affecting you or text cultures or audiences in certain ways, right? Mm-hmm. Not that this text is better than that text. But if you can find these same qualities in the text that you love, mm-hmm. then yeah, certainly, right, that's a literary object, right? Or it's right. doing literary things, right? But not that there is this thing called literature, right? That then we're all going to agree and that we're all going to teach it to our kids because they need to know who Chaucer was, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, certainly you might think like, well, yeah, but, well, for me particularly, right, I'm, I'm a white guy, right? I'm a straight white male from Oregon growing up in a Western education system, right? Chaucer's important, right? But I... When I talk about that in the classroom or I think about that myself, I kind of think like, oh, but Chaucer's important for everybody. And I forget, like, I'm a really small part of a broader a yeah. broader world, right? I think that's what we forget when we talk about the canon or literature or also creating textbooks, right? Which you know to start them as you're like, where are all these people? Right. Right? We think that just our own experience of the world is the world, right? And then if you think 
if you break that down and try to actually look at the diversity of the continents, right, and also the subcultures in the states within the continents, well, there's certainly no canon. Right. right. There, there couldn't be, right? right? And there's certainly no literature, right? There couldn't be. But there are, are ways that, that literary texts affect us, right? And I can look, look at that. And then we, and then we as a culture might find them important for certain reasons. But there can't be canon. There can't be literary stuff. Canon, like literature, is just what gets taught. It's really a textbook thing. And it's a, like you said, a curriculum thing, right? You're like, mm. why do I keep seeing Beowulf show up on every syllabus? Like, what is that? Then we get something <laughs> that you want to actually talk about. How is education working? Like, what are they, these classes doing for people? And what are they not doing for people? I, I feel like there might be a value there just <clears throat> by reading the same thing at different levels of your education. Doctor, Doctor Voss, if you're listening, I do love Babel. I wasn't a, there wasn't a Babel slander <laughs> or anything. Actually, I'm a big, big fan. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think there might be, might be. I'm no like I don't know. But I think there might be a value to reading something throughout your education, like the same piece, because it teaches you, I think, how to like how to like read critical. Like, if I had a nickel for every time I read Fear and Loathing, I'd have at least a dollar, I swear. Right? And every time I reread it, I kind of, yeah. Um, and every time I reread it, I kind of get, like, I pull another piece out, like another thread. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Interesting. I didn't notice that before. So so I, I think the teaching of a canon can be harmful. Kind of like whatever's good music is whatever gets on the radio, like that sort of thing. I think it works all the arts. Um, I, just, I don't know much about, like, physical sculpting or anything, but... But um, so maybe we should be doing more rereading as opposed to yeah. But but at the same time, by by doing that rereading, you're reading less, more less um like a you're reading a more narrow scope. You're experiencing a more narrow scope of like this literary narrative. You know what I mean? Not narrative. Just exposing the culture. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting. I, what's more important, like exposing yourself to more or developing your critical reading skills like you can do both but can you do both like super awesomely i kind of feel like as far as education goes like that's sort of what we do in a lot of different subjects like when you think about when you're in elementary school and you talk about like america and you find out like christopher christopher columbus discovered america right it's always tough yeah and then (laughs) you get to middle school and it's like well he kind of didn't really discover america because there were indians here and then, like, you get to high school, and it's like, well, he didn't really kind of discover America at all. He kind of discovered, like, the Caribbeans, and, like, even that place had people there. And even the word discovered, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and, like, what yeah. is really discovered if people live there? And then you get into college, and it's like, well, he was kind of, like, a murderous bastard and, like, killed a lot of people and did a lot of really horrible things, but yeah. we still have Columbus Day, yeah. so, yeah. like, why is that? It's true. So there's, like, this building... Yeah. Right. So even with literature, so like let's say, you know, you read Beowulf when you're in high school or middle school, and then you probably don't really understand it, but it's like, you know, this is one of the earliest texts that have been recorded, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it used to be like an oral tradition, so that's something that you understand. Then you get to high school and you realize that, uh, you know, not only was it like one of the earliest texts that have been recorded, but it's also got like, because of the way it was recorded, it's a Viking story that has a lot of, like, Christianity just shoved in it yeah. to make it, like, not really make sense when you read it. Um, right, like every movie we watch now, right? Right. And then you get to college and you get that deeper, like, false understanding of it that I'm not going to get into because... Because we got to bring the loss on you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, you know, it, so there are certain good stories, maybe not good stories but I mean like the canonical things that I canonical whatever that like you come up with that like as you get older and you do reread them or they do keep coming up you do get this better comprehension of them 
um, like you were saying, mm-hmm. like the, that rereading aspect. But then you also miss out on other things. So like you don't exactly. get those diversity stories about like you know uh, Asian Americans in internment camps. Like you don't you don't know about that because they don't really talk about it much in history. And then you know the literature of it is overshadowed by like Shakespeare. You yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Should we just continually read the economically dominant culture all the time? Right. I can't do. Yeah. So. so you guys yeah. gonna fix this all, right? We are. Yeah. yeah. Right. We're we're gonna take your job. Yeah. Burn. You already told me that. Burn. I, I no, I don't want to take your job. I just want to work here. That's like, right. That's I want to be given a job. I don't want to take anyone's job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Say one last thing before we shut off. Like yeah, learning on. that Colin had read Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing five or six multiple times just made me understand Colin so much more and I kind of feel like everyone if they just told us like what piece of culture book song movie whatever they've consumed multiple times I think we learned so much about them like that's very true you can tell a lot about about a person by like what they choose to like repetitively right like what you're saying right Um, we talked in Literary publishing um, about Robin Sloan, the novelist, and, and the tech guy who used to work at Twitter at the beginning. Um, he, he talked about how we're reading today and how we're not reading today, how we're just kind of skimming and, and archiving, but not really even reading closely. Mm-hmm. And certainly not returning texts that we love as much as we used to. This is, he's, he's old, he's like my age, so he's probably wrong. I don't know. But um, mm-hmm. anyway, but he said um, love is to return, right? To return mm-hmm. to something. And so you love that book, like you return to it again and again and again, just like you would you know, a lover, right, a, a child, um, a friend or something like this, right? Because it's, it's something else there, right? Maybe there's something to be said about the canon that for some reason as culture, educators, I mean, these people aren't bad people, right, when you get these textbooks or these right. classes, but somehow there's something they love about that text and they can return to it. True. Maybe there's something we can just communicate differently about why we're teaching the literature teaching, right? And then if we look in that love, we're gonna expose. We're gonna be like, oh, but there's all these other loving people in the world. Like, yeah. what do they love, right? Mm-hmm. And then we'd expose people to more, more things instead of like, it's a fact, which is maybe how you got it in class. Yeah. Like, this is a fact. It's not just a, I love this stuff, and other people have loved it for these reasons. But it's X. I think that's a fantastic way to like look to look at this. Like, especially when we're thinking solution. You know what I mean? It is is I I think kind of like like why are we doing this? Like, why do they think it's important to return to this? You know what I mean? Um, However, at the end of the day, it could could very well just be like it's important to return to it because like dominant culture, you know what I mean? Like because, like, yeah, because most that people yeah. can relate to it, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you can relate to any text. I think that's written in your language, you know. Yeah. Well, a language you can. We should know our prisoners before we go work for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. On that note, though, I'm gonna yeah, be so prepared for poetry so. class. I got like eight minutes. Yeah. Just right. grab my printouts and run back down to poetry. <laughs> um, thanks, um, Colin and Artemis, um, for having me. Thank you for being on. on yeah. Thanks for being on. Um, a fantastic first guest, for sure. My second guest, actually. That's true. Well, I was thinking for like our main rough draft, because we had Bethany on and talked. Can to Bethany be the main rough draft tonight? I see the. No, no, you have to be the main rough draft. You got the PhD, man. She's the. You got the PhD. She is the. Cool headsets from the radio station. I don't. Yeah. Bethany? Is that not the? I think you're thinking somebody else. It's not the person we interviewed last week for the Tell Me a Story. No, no, no. Uh, Bethany should be interviewed for sorry, uh, Harry Potter. Okay. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. For your canon Harry Potter for argument. The, yeah, for the peer review. Yeah. Is that the one? It is. It's a good name. I thought so. It goes along with rough draft. She's very passionate. 
for that again. Yeah. yeah, if there's one thing we can do, it's name stuff. Yeah. <laughs> no, thanks for letting me on here. This is a whole student project. Yeah. Students created the rough draft. Students have created the peer review. I am just a humble servant. Um, thanks, guys. Thank you for doing Thank you. All right, and that'll conclude our session today. Um, that was an interview with Travis Kurowski. Did you say that right? Kurowski? Yeah, yeah with so. Travis K. Who <laughs> um, was the creative writing professor here at your college? Um, if you want to get a hold of him, don't. Uh, <laughs> He's a busy guy. Right? <laughs> he is a busy guy. <laughs> like, Google it. <laughs> take one of his classes if you want to get a hold of him. How about yeah. that? Yeah. All right. Thank uh, you, guys. Yeah, that's about the end. It's time to wrap it up. So this is where we kind of just like mumble until we end our recording. We're really Um, bad at endings. Yeah. So I like Jack White, too. That's my background. Bye, Felicia. Bye. Also, sorry for not saying hi earlier, Felicia. It's been a busy day. (laughs) Why is this not working? Oh, it's bad. This is all going on. (laughs)